So it's finally happened in the 2019 World Superbike season where Alvaro Bautista doesn't lead the World Championship. Myself, Steve English and Gordon Ritchie here in Donington Park and after race one here at Donington, Jonathan Ray is finally retaking the lead of the World Championship and uh, with two more races today we could easily see where we go to the summer break after the Guna Seek with Jonathan Ray leading the World Championship. It's been a long time coming Gordo but we've seen it over the last few rounds that the mistakes have started to creep in for Bautista. Quite astonishing. Um after the first four rounds of the year, we'd never seen this happening, maybe even by the end of the year. Um, and in the last few rounds, 70 points have been shed, 70 potential points have been shed by Bautista and, and raised leading again. Um, I, I honestly don't think anybody thought that was going to happen. Yes, everybody's got to have huge self-belief in racing, and I'm sure Jonathan was, you know, could always think everything was possible, but it's, it, I can't put over to people how surprising this is especially as we're only in round eight well you know it didn't take to the end of the season for him to catch up well not even in the summer break yet and he's nine points ahead after the first race at Dunnington everybody's walking about in a kind of strange shock uh, but I think most people are obviously quite happy the championship's closed up again it was looking a bit too dominant at the beginning for the Ducati guys or one Ducati guy so it, it's it's quite amazing to be here this weekend I think we're watching whatever happens at the end of the year I think we're watching a we're going to have a really enthralling season for the rest of it It's a strange season as well Gordo because you'd still have to say that Bautista and the Ducati are far away the fastest package but it seems like it's got a bit of a knife edge now for us it seems that Bautista's struggled a little bit in that full fuel tank he's made mistakes all the crashes have been in similar kind of corners in the dry first second gear corners coming down full yes. fuel tank and then obviously here at Donington Park he had a crash that we've seen lots of riders have this weekend just where the rear steps out and you started to push on a little bit harder and suddenly the grip goes away from you and you just fall but uh, that's three weekends in a row where he's made big mistakes and then you come in on the before that Imola we saw Jonathan Ray beat him in Imola as well so really since then it's just been a case of round by round the gaps come down despite the fact that Bautista's still been winning more races Yes and it's it's quite noticeable that um, when we've got away from tracks that Bautista either doesn't know or hasn't had tested at and more importantly Ducati hasn't had that bike at they don't seem to be able to find the, the, the ideal setup. Um, that bike does seem to be a bit tricky in the chassis side uh, yesterday's crash from Batista I told us afterwards was basically because he just didn't have a good setup and was pushing too fast and wet never a good combination and Donington uh, has been slightly resurfaced in some places but even the existing tarmac has got its own nuances that only people who've been here 20 times really understand when they've basically crashed at all 20 places wet or dry there's plenty of places at Donington that are regular places where people fall off fast some of them as well and you don't find that out until it's happened to you so I think that's the, the, the major thing for him is it, that there's been changes introduced from a beginning where, where once he found his good setup, he could run with it now there's been changes and differences that the bike or him haven't been able to handle yeah because if you look at what we've seen from Chaz Davis through this course this season so far he said a few times that basically Ducati don't have a base setting they just have a setting where he tries to find the track by track so clearly for Davis he struggled with that and maybe now the base setting that Bautista had at the start of the year for Phillip mm -hmm. Island, for Thailand, for Aragon, for us and suddenly once we come to different tracks that are a little bit less flowing he started to struggle a little bit more. That's the thing exactly right, they don't have the data they, um, and he's, he's almost suffered from a, a level of overconfidence where he's just trusted the bike, the bike obviously likes to move underneath 
Uh, when you're exiting corners with that much power, maybe there's no option, but when going into corners, uh, Bautista was really interesting this weekend in the, the couple of times I spoke to him, saying that he actually uses that slide. He's back the bike in like a 1995-600 Supersport rider, and he's doing that to slow the bike down and to get the back end to give grip because sometimes he doesn't have enough grip when he's going into the corner which you need to get into the corner make your apex where you want and make your exit where you want and he's having to actually use the back end slide to make sure he's in the right position very dramatic, it looks great on TV but you can see how much the bike moves and he must have said that half a dozen times recently the bike's moving underneath me they, I think they do have a kind of stability issue that when you get it nailed he can just disappear and use all that extra power he's got and the, the perfect engine configuration of a V4 and all the years of Ducati experience uh, in other areas but I think this is a major change for Ducati this is a, a V4 not a V twin so I think there's also everybody's learning as they go along now and it just so happened that those first four or five tracks were really good for them they could work it all out when they're throwing a kind of curveball by the track or the weather or the change in temperature between the, 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 the sprint race on Sunday and the, the second race which was what he said in, in Jerez and Mizano uh, well it was a different reason here it was wet it was not that warm um, but it was another new thing for them to find out about the bike and it seems to be now they're finding out the hardware they're not even finding out in practice and obviously, what we've seen through the course of the season, we have seen that the Ducati has a lot of advantages with the bike. But now that we're into this middle part of the season here at Donington Park Laguna next weekend, these were two rounds that were always circled on the calendar as being the big challenges. And suddenly, we're nine points between Jonathan Ray and Alvaro Bautista now. We've got two more races today. We've got three races next weekend. You could easily have a situation where we go into that summer break and Ray's got a decent, decent lead in the championship. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. We don't know what's going to happen until it happens, but everybody always thought, mm, as soon as they went to Imola and realised that the undulations and so on um, were maybe not the, the, the best place for a Ducati to be. Then you look at the next tracks, Donington's a perfect example. All up and downhill, except for a hard-breaking area at the end. Uh, and Laguna is the, the, the definition of off-camber, weird corners, up and downhill, you know, it's quite a uh, dramatic track that way. Um, if it goes to type, uh, from what we we expect and what we've seen recently, then you could you could be completely correct. It's racing and anything could happen, but for sure, everybody now is talking about hmm, maybe there's going to be going into the summer break quite a big advantage for for Ray, unless Ducati finds something a breakthrough that makes the bike suddenly more stable and still able to use all its performance. Um, but in Laguna, I mean, it's such a cookie track at the best of times. It's a fantastic place, but you never quite know. And if you don't get your set up there, you're done. You're just not going to do anything because there's too many difficult corners to, and sections to, to go down. You've been here since Provex started running the Kawasaki operation. Yeah. Have you ever seen them as happy as they were after just a normal <laughs> race win as yesterday? Uh, it's funny, I went and looked at them I, I made a joke with them yesterday when I went into the, uh, to their hospitality unit and uh, I looked at them and I, I looked around the table and I was, I was saying I'm doing a little uh, I'm, I'm in a little competition to see who's got the widest grin on their face right now because they, they've suddenly got a bounce that, that's, that happened but the whole team just went ape yesterday I mean really uh, and it was, it was it's cool to see any team whenever anybody wins and they're so, they're, they're so happy that joy transfers to everybody but yeah, they're, they're, 
I think some people on that team took it quite badly when they got truly beaten in the first few rounds and really beat quite badly I think some of them didn't react to it too well they couldn't work it out because they've been masses of the universe for so long not just with Jonathan but with Tom before him they nearly won another two world championships um, it must have been very difficult psychologically for them all to deal with um, but they've plugged away and got themselves to where they are they were they've got every reason to be delighted because as we say at the top of the show we just nobody expected that to happen especially not by after four rounds, you'd never have thought they'd call back Donington. And there they were, one race into Donington, and, and they're leading the championship. They must have been... I think they're trying to deal with it now. Today will be a test for them as much of overconfidence, of expectation of... I mean, it's quite possible that Alvaro comes out here and beats Jonathan two races. It's entirely possible if it's going to stay dry like it is now. We, we can't say what's going to happen in racing. But, um, yeah, it was that was a reaction yesterday. I mean, really, that was a reaction from them. We've got an interview with Eugene Avery to run at the end of this show as well and uh, we're chatting to Eugene just about some of the things that he's seen from the championship whenever he's been sitting on the sidelines and uh, out with injury, what he's thought of the riders, what he's thought of the bikes, what he's thought of basically how the championship has progressed. And one of the things that Eugene says is that uh, he's not really that surprised by seeing Bautista make these kind of mistakes. He said that uh, he expects... Ray and Kawasaki with a package that they know really well, with tyres they know really well, tracks they know really well, that they won't make mistakes all the way through the season. But Bautista with a new bike from Ducati, a new team around them, new tyres, there's a lot of change there for him. So he's not surprised to have seen Bautista have some of these slip ups. But I think everyone else is a bit surprised. I think everyone is. I think um, it, it was the way he came here, and as soon as he got a nice set up on his front end, he just dominated everywhere. And we thought in those first few tracks, we thought, oh, what's different in Chang from Phillip Island? Chang very different, and he won all the races. And then we went to Aragon, and the same thing. And, and then we went to Assen, and the same thing. And you think, mm, okay, we honestly, I think pretty much everybody thought they had the set up nailed on. As soon as he went away from that. I can't remember which round we were in Assen, maybe. Uh, Assen in, in Friday practice. They made a, a change from his happy setup, and it all went wrong. So then we thought, ah, well, it's because they found a small window of happiness, and as long as they stay in that, it doesn't seem to matter what the track's going to be, it'll be all right. Um, but he still did say yesterday if he, he found a common link between the two dry crashes, and they fixed that for here. But obviously yesterday wasn't a dry race, so we haven't seen if that's a fact or not. So maybe... That's part of the reason why I'm allowing for the fact that Bautista might have a, a great day today. Um, but he's definitely a bit rattled by it all. Um, what, Eugene's a racer and he sees things from a certain point of view. He's riding that bike, albeit on different suspension and in a private team. So maybe he knows something that we... Obviously he knows things that we don't. But um, yeah, I think everybody else was... Uh, given the nature of the way they started in different tracks, I don't think anybody thought there would be three slip-ups in a row let's put it that way everybody make a mistake but nobody saw three in a row three different tracks and suddenly this where everything changes now as well like I was writing for my preview for this weekend that one of the quotes from Vincent Lombardi that I always liked was sports don't build character they reveal character and now suddenly you've got three rounds in a row where Bautista's made these big slip-ups and we're going to now really see what kind of character he has because it's easy to keep going when things are rolling well now you have to show the strength to get back on top to try and just steady the ship for the next couple of rounds and then when we get to Portimao, Magnicore, Argentina and Qatar like they're four tracks with long straights that should suit the Ducati but you have to get to that point 
Yes, and there's the other uh, the other fascinating thing. We've seen this World Championship change in the final round. We've seen the World Championship change in the last three rounds. Tom Sykes was almost a shoo-in for a championship one year, and then it all went wrong just in the last few rounds. Um, and weather and everything else. And finally, he was beaten by the fact that Aprilia kept the best engine for the last races of the year. And no matter what he did, he, could, he just couldn't get a hold of Gintoli on the straights at, at Losail with this gigantic straight. Um, and that's effectively why they, how they won the World Championship that year, as well as all the other efforts earlier. But that was the key point. They had the right package. Um, we've got a few different tracks coming up. If we take Laguna out there, let's say there's a, a still a very close fight for the championship after Laguna. Portimao shouldn't suit the Ducati, but Batista says he likes it and he's tested there. And he's another two day test before. And there's another two day test before, um, which could be good for either of them or any of them or anybody else. So it's there's a lot of uh, factors to go in now, which is great because it just makes it more interesting. And you say it makes it more interesting. This season's actually been a very interesting one because you look at this weekend, Tom Sykes gets the Super Bowl. Yeah. He's been on the podium two rounds in a row. Now we're recording this Sunday morning. I'm not going to be the least bit surprised if Tom wins the Super Bowl race this afternoon. No, um, and he was talking about that yesterday. He actually said uh, that he would. He, that he's hoping to have a uh, a race win 24 hours after his Super Bowl. Um, this is his track. He just has some special affinity for it. Uh, obviously, they've, they've made great strides in the engine of the, the BMW recently that he's been able to use. But also chassis, he kept talking about chassis, so they even started the season with a good chassis, but they've actually made it even better in the last couple of rounds. They said they made a big change in Mizano, which is transferred through to here as well. Um, yeah, I think Sykes is going to be the man to watch. Obviously it's racing, it could all go terribly wrong, but um, if I think anywhere that Tom Sykes is running up bike in his first year, it's going to be here. It's a special place. And that bike is pretty good. When you look at what... Uh, how we started the season with the Ducati is obviously a more powerful bike than anything else but it was obviously working better than anything else the Kawasaki was better than last year but still underneath the Ducati and it and everybody else and then you look at we've had Michael van der Mark winning on the Yamaha the Yamaha is much more consistently competitive um, and then the BMW's arrived with Sykes who let's not forget is a world champion and is, is the fastest man on a single lap in the history of this sport so if you can get if you can get Tom a tire and a, a, a bike set up to do all twenty three laps, he can win the race against anybody. It's always been the way. And we also saw Peter Hickman was on that bike as well this weekend. Obviously Hickey's got a lot of confidence coming from his T T success and you're looking towards like again Suzuki eight hours for him. He's doing a lot of testing for BMW. He's been quite valued by them. And then suddenly you can jump onto this bike and put it on the second road grid. It was a changeable qualifying session but he was able to put it on second row with grid and finish seventh in race in race one in very difficult conditions yes i mean his performances this week should not be uh, underestimated especially given that he's an, an old-fashioned rider and that he does the tt and he does short circuit racing and he does them very well um most riders don't do that anymore they specialize in one or the other and he seems to be able to transfer from both uh and and yeah, the electronics is the thing you always think that when someone comes from BSB or another championship that hasn't has got such a high technical level, uh, they're going to struggle with. But obviously, they've, they've, they've got everything sorted out for him, and he's delivered on his home track. Delivered. People think, oh, seventh this, and he, he's done really well because this championship's rock hard. It is his home track. It has been iffy conditions, but I think his approach and 
the proof that the bike underneath them is actually pretty good already is that they've delivered what they've done and the, the kind of best thing about it is that we were really quite disappointed there weren't any actual wild cards and they say so we've actually got a wild card we've kind of created a wild card within a factory team which is the ideal way of doing it and it shows what's happened uh, it used to be that way all the time Britain, Japan, Australia, America all the local wild cards would come and give the the, the regular guys a hard time and, and Hickey's you know he, he, to me that's a pretty good imp- impressive performance already and it might we might have two more this afternoon in good weather and uh Probably worth sharing a thought on Marcus Reiterberger as well. Obviously, yes. he's sitting back in Germany. He's been in hospital. He's had flu-like symptoms, clearly pretty serious. But suddenly, he sees Hickman on his bike, second row of the grid, finishes inside the top ten. Suddenly, you've got two dry races today where Hickey's got a good chance. And you'd imagine Hickey's more than likely going to be on that bike next time out in Laguna as well. Yes, um, Reiterberger doesn't. See, I don't see him being back in a few days' time. Not fit anyway. Um, it's it's always the worst thing it's like Eugene why does Eugene want to come back because he doesn't want to see somebody else jumping on his bike and maybe doing well as well um, yeah there's special circumstances here it's Peter's home track and everything else but uh, yeah it, it, it must be bad for the, the regular rider to see somebody else coming in on his bike and doing quite well and obviously for Laguna if there's any other track on this calendar that a BSB rider wants to race at it's a track that might as well be in the BSB championship gnarly I mean gnarly is the 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 perfect way to describe it, Unisake. It's so steep. We we walked around it a couple of years ago, having never had a chance before. We actually walked around the whole track, and it is it's mountaineering in places. It's incredible. It makes Cadwell, uh, in some ways, look kind of ordinary with some of the changes in the direction you've got uh, downhill and uphill, um, and the way everything everything flows into one to the other, to the other, to the other, and zero rest. Absolutely zero rest. Even the main straight is like Brands Hatch. There's just Disney Street. They're always having to put some kind of input in the bike, even up the main street. So you're out of a very, very slow corner, so you've got to concentrate to keep the bike online. Then you go over, effectively, two lefts at hugely high speed, brake blind into the first cut. When you go around Laguna, it's just incredibly tricky and complicated and zero rest for the rider. And here at Donington Park, it's similar to that as well, Gordo. Like you've got all the riders suffering from arm pump here. It's a lot of pressure on the right hand side of the body. And we'll talk to Eugene at the end of the show. He explains what happened with his wrist injury. Yes. But for himself, for Michael Vandermark coming back from surgery, it's a tough circuit. It's a it's a very tough track, Donington. Um, for those reasons, it's also very tough because you can't ever get your bike to work properly because you've got seventy percent of the track is fast and flowing up and downhill. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get this absolute heartbreaking chicane downhill off camber heartbreaking right hairpin again uphill downhill heartbreaking left and then all of a sudden you go back into the flown six again so if you're carrying an injury if your bike setup isn't quite right uh, you haven't reached the best compromise between do I go for the 70% of the track that's fast or the bit at the end where it really counts when you want to in a fight and you want to win races and you can't lose lap time because your bike's just skidding and bottoming out. Uh, it's an incredible difficult setup track this but it's also very tough for the riders. Um, and it's kinda it's a kinda unique place, Donington, because the the big fast flown section around the bottom, again, everything matters. Every single corner once you start on that, where you are on the track counts all the way to the end of that. But it's also different from some of the Laguna that's just a bit more gnarly. This is more open in those sections, up and down sections. Laguna is much more gnarly and, and 
difficult in terms of it's a lot more it's a sketchy track for just getting around it um, we're going to leave it as a pretty short show this week because we got a long interview with Eugene Laverty about 20 minutes we've also got the German Grand Prix on this weekend so David and Neil will be having a show out yes. but uh, Gordo two questions left for you at the end who's going to lead the championship leaving Donington Park and by how many points um, I don't get involved in all that mainly because every time I do I get it wrong um, I'm not the greatest predictor in the world because it's all very well analysing it and seeing it all but um, there's that lady luck you know who saw Bautista crashing three times how can you say that but I do think um, I think the, the momentum is behind Ray and Kawasaki uh, I think Ray loves Laguna uh, and it's another unknown for Ducati so you've got to say that the next two rounds that Jonathan's going to be the one leading the championship by how much if it's straight fights and no crashes and no breakdowns and things um I honestly couldn't say but it wouldn't surprise me if it was 30-40 if it works out the way as Bautista said yesterday racing's not mathematics so you're asking me a mathematical question I'll give you a mathematical answer but it doesn't matter because anything could happen so I'll say 30 points right well thanks for joining us Gordo and only a week until we're out in the sunshine of California and luckily the sun is shining here at Donington Park here on Sunday and we should have two great races today and uh, as I said we'll leave you with Eugene Laverty giving us his update on his injuries and his thoughts on some of the championships so far this year. So Eugene Laverty joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast and unfortunately Eugene it's Friday here at Donington Park and you've just withdrawn from the weekend after trying to get back on, on in action but uh, unfortunately the wrist injury just still a little bit uh, too severe to be able to race. Yeah, unfortunately it's uh, the eight week stage since uh, the crash at Imola now. Left wrist has been good to go for a while but uh, the severity of the injuries in the right wrist is still keeping me out of action. Uh, in Mizano it was impossible but we made progress in the last 10 days and I began thinking ah, maybe I can give Donington a go and that was uh, the reason why I wanted to ride here was because I didn't want to be stood uh, at trackside and wondering maybe I could have, maybe I couldn't so I know I've tried and I can't. What's the recovery like for an injury like this? Is it where you don't see a lot of progress and then suddenly it comes in big chunks and that's what gives you the belief that you can get back maybe a little bit too early for this? Yeah, it's it's amazing how long the right wrist has taken. I mean, I say long because um, I've had a number of injuries in my career, but this is the first time when for six weeks it's been so, so slow. But um, there was so much damage in there that it, it, I was always uh, trying to get it going, but it wouldn't until it got past that acute stage. And after that, after Mizano pretty much, good, uh, good bit of sea air strolling around watching bikes. It seemed to me do seemed to do me a world of good because um, last week finally it started to make headway and when I was sat on the bike at Mizano I couldn't even bend my wrist to, to hold the handlebar I had to hold my elbow up in the sky and even when I had my elbow out I was only able to open the gas 30% and now here when I arrived and sat on the bike yesterday I was able to actually tuck in with my elbow alongside the fuel tank and open the gas to 75% so that's a fair old step um, you'll wonder when there how I was getting the extra 25% but that's the thing when you're on track you'll find a way um, my wrist would only turn that 75% and then I just kind of rotate it with the grip of the glove the, the last bit so I was able to ride but um, racing and competing with other riders that's going to be a whole different ball game so I had to make the, the smart decision this time and um, throw in the towel It's been a rough couple of years with the injuries obviously Thailand last year serious injury with breaking your pelvis and now this injury 
it's always with riders like we do tend to see the injuries do obviously rack up over the course of your career but like where does this one land in terms of how difficult the recovery's been yeah this one's head and shoulders above the rest um the pelvis last year uh progress was probably after a week started to come and it was coming day by day it was pretty much every day i was making headway and i was able to get back on the bike after seven weeks and honestly i was 100 percent in Imola. i was able to go my first lap i went second place in my first lap behind johnny after seven weeks off the bike so i knew i was able um I think I just got impatient and wanted to come back at the eight week mark because I thought that's two months now. It's time to come back, but you gotta listen to your body. You know, Michael Van der Mark broke his radius, but he did a different kind of break and he was able to be back here. He's, uh, as he said, he's 90% uh, fit. I don't know what number I'd put on myself, but if we use that uh, percentage of gas, let's say that's 75, 75% fit. Um, it's taken uh, a long time, plus, you know, you just gotta wait it out. And I've been lucky for most of my career. I started road racing in 2001 and never really had too many bad injuries. Never actually spent a night in hospital until Thailand. So I'd always managed to check myself out of hospital um, right after crashes. So while I say I've been unlucky in the last uh, year and a half, I was pretty lucky before that. Obviously, it's disappointing for you as well because you've changed teams for this year. You're on the Ducati. You've said all the way through, right from your first test on the bike, that the bike's a big step forward from what you've ridden over the last few years, that it feels good, it's quite friendly for the rider as well. Is that making it even more disappointing to have had to sit out the last few rounds? Yeah, that's, that's what's been uh, heartbreaking because I almost wish I hadn't turned up at Aston because uh, for whatever reason I had Aston that cold temperature, um, I couldn't get the, the rear tire to work. So I'd rather have uh, just uh, left that one out and then be able to do Imola. Jerez, uh, Mizano, all the hot, slippery, slidey races because that's where this bike really comes into its own. At Aragon, in the warmer practices in the afternoon and the races, I was flying. And I had the pace there for four podiums, so yeah, it's just it's really been heartbreaking. And that's why I wanted to get back here and Laguna Seca. I know Laguna Seca can be hot and slippery, so I really want to, to ride this bike when it's uh, in the best conditions that suit it. And Laguna's still very much the target for coming back? Yeah, that's that's what it always has been the target the last few weeks because uh, when I began to think, okay, this left wrist is back to normal, uh, the right wrist isn't great, so I thought, Laguna Seca, it's a bit like whenever Valentino Rossi come back from his uh, right leg break and he chose Saxon ring. And uh, I predicted that he would come back as Saxon ring because, as, you know, as a rider, you're thinking, hang on, which uh, track is going to be easy on uh, on my bad side? And for him, that was Saxon ring. And for, for me, it'll be Laguna Seca. You know, you take all the brunt of it on your left arm, your left shoulder, so hopefully the right wrist gets an easier time around there. And then, obviously, before coming here to Donington, you actually went out in the 300 as well to try and assess what the condition was like for the rest. How useful was it just to have been able to have done that before coming here this weekend, just to give you an idea of what you should expect? Yeah, it was a big benefit because um, on that Tuesday morning, three days ago, I went out in the 300, but as I was sat in... Uh, just in the paddock area and I was sitting on the bike and I was like, I can't have done this gas. I'm not going to be able to do it. And that was uh, like, geez, okay, let's go on track and see what I can do. And that's when I realized that, like I said, you'll find a way, you'll turn it with a glove, you'll do something to get full. And I thought, ah, maybe there's a way here. So whenever I was riding it like a little bike, um, 
I was able to ride normal and I thought this is great and then uh, after the first hour Don told me where I thought okay I need to start riding this thing pretend it's a super bike so the thing was 300cc power but I was stopping it in the mid corner and picking it up right and the moment I did that I realized ah okay this is a this is a problem because the moment I had to pick the bike up right uh, that junction of where the, the head of the radius and the skyfoid meet uh, that's where it just wouldn't open the gas so I played around then picking the bike up but rotating my hand round so I wasn't holding the, the grip directly on I was almost holding the, the grip at 45 degrees angle so it opened the, my arm out a little bit like the way Alex Rins rides and that was the only way I was able to do it so the way I've been riding on right corners it's not like holding a throttle it's been more like holding a screwdriver you know just kind of rotating it in that strange way and then obviously for today here at Donington you tried to go out and ride what did it actually feel like when you were out there? So nice to be back out there. Probably that's the that was the first thought. But um, having that extra power, I knew I had to be wary because I just wanted to ride a few laps by myself. Didn't want to be with anybody else. So built up from like a 35 or something like that, and then a 34, 33, and gradually get down to 31s. Unfortunately, that was pretty much a brick wall. I couldn't do any more. Um, after the first session, I thought, right, let's give this a shorter throttle, I'll give it another go, and it did help me in corner X, and it felt like, yeah, nice to be able to ride again, but um, corner entry, especially those right corners pushing, it was just too tough. Obviously, over the last few rounds, you've been able to see other riders on your bike, Zanetti, Tommy Bridewell. What's it actually feel like whenever you're sitting back at home or when you're at Mizano looking at your bike being ridden by someone else? Uh, when I was on uh, the couch at home watching Hareth, it was fine actually. But being at Mizano, that was the hard part. I didn't like being there at Mizano. Uh, I wanted to come to, to support the team and uh, with it being the Italian rider for a lot of their sponsors, it was important to, to be there. And if I couldn't ride the bike, at least uh, partake in signing sessions and all the rest. But uh, after Mizano, uh, I realized I don't like uh, watching inside of the track when somebody else is riding my bike. So Hareth was okay, even being in Emma in the hospital bed, watching Tommy riding the bike in Emma, that was okay as well. It's one thing seeing it on TV and another thing seeing it riding past you when you're sitting at trackside, that's uh, heartbreaking. How much of a motivation was that then just to keep doing the recovery, to give yourself the chance to race in this weekend? Because obviously you were able to ride, but just not able to race. Uh, that, that didn't change it much because after I sat in that bike on Thursday and realised how far away I was from being able to even bloody hold the handlebar. Uh, I suppose people don't understand when you talk about how can't you hold the handlebar but the way your wrist naturally sits imagine if you're holding the fork leg when you're tucked in on the bike that's how your wrist is anything uh, you know rotated from that is uh, either pronation or supernation or extension and flexion so that's what uh, you don't realize until your wrist <laughs> is broken in, in bits so um, it didn't really change that for me because I was really devastated come Saturday and then Sunday I'd already decided that I wasn't going to do Donington looking at Seca and then that 24 hours until Monday I was feeling so crap feeling like damn this is going to be a long summer break uh, I wanted to get back riding for the summer break and then I realised this is going to be so long out before Porto Mayo and then started thinking Monday afternoon okay what about looking at Seca let's give it a go and then kickstarted me to work again so you need something to aim for as a rider if you just wait and think, oh, when's Porto Mayo, 24th, 25th of August, ah, I'll be grand by then. Then you're not going to work, you're not going to um, sit every day and rehabilitate yourself. You need to, to aim for something. And how else would you keep working after eight weeks? It takes a sick mind to, to keep working the way we do to get ourselves back in the bike. It's obviously been a strange year as well, because we've seen a lot of riders have pretty bad injuries. Like you mentioned Van der Mark, but 
his fractured wrist and obviously that was from some of the past years where no traction control you come down heavy on it and Van der Mark able to get himself back through the surgery and able to race here at Donington Park but you look at Camier's had a big injury we've seen lots of riders in the super sport paddock and the super bike paddock having big crashes this year and big injuries is, do you think is there anything to that or is it just one of those years where we've had a bit of bad luck for riders yeah it can happen any year can it um i follow ama supercross and i remember i think it was last year where it was just like the last man standing was going to win the title Some, sometimes that happens uh, but Le me and uh, leon Camier, we definitely got a special connection going on it seems to be that whenever i wreck myself he follows soon after <laughs> it's like uh, leon just kind of says if eugene's not racing then i'm not racing <laughs> it's good solidarity that in fairness uh, no i commend him for it. it brings a tear to me just thinking about a rider that would do that for me just to join me in the sidelines Maybe I was never meant to ride here at Donington after Leon said that he wasn't going to be fit for here. I should have just supported him and said, no, I'm going to sit out as well. It was last year when I wrecked myself in Thailand. He wrecked himself in race one at Aragon. So he missed the same race as Aragon. We tried to come back at Imola and then it was Donington where he was able to come back. And then uh, this year, uh, he actually did it the very next day. After me at Imola, I had my high side on Friday and then he got busted up on Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah. So... It's, it's crazy to think that we just uh, follow suit, but Leon, he's a big strong guy and if he's saying that his shoulder isn't able to withstand the, the forces, then uh, I think it's smarter to sit in the sidelines. That's something I think people forget. Every injury is different. You know, you, you, gotta, you can't uh, compare one injury with another. And no, there's also the fact that some riders do um, create fairy tale injuries and that. That's something that frustrates me. I don't like that. I, you know, it's, it's all part of it, kind of sometimes doing the hero ride and coming back and, uh, you know, being uh, the tough guy. If you're able, then you're able, but don't uh, fabricate an injury. Some riders will. There's one rider in MotoGP in particular that dreams up injuries and then comes back, uh, you know, a week later or sometimes a few days later and rides with this injury miraculously. And that's not a good example to set to kids because they'll be looking at that and thinking, oh, bloody hell, I've broken uh, this and now I'm not able to ride. <laughs> because they see that injury and uh, in another rider in MotoGP but the truth was that guy was lying <laughs> and I don't like that so if you're gonna be the, the hero at least be honest you know guys like Leon Haslam Leon Haslam you wouldn't know that he's riding with injuries that guy is, is so tough Leon will be riding with a broken ankle and he'll just say no no it's fine and he'll be out there whereas some other riders uh, they dream up these injuries and uh, they don't have them and I don't like them What was the first injury you rolled through? Dave's thumb. Believe it or not, the rider that all, the injury that all uh, riders fear most. I was a running joke at the time of my first year race in 2001. But <laughs> uh, I stayed my thumb. It was actually tough to ride with, as much as we joke with it. Uh, the one after that was with a broken wrist, but I didn't know I had the broken wrist. Um, having older brothers and uh, even my brother-in-law Phil there tell me yeah, stretch it up against the side of the van you'll be grand do this do that and I went out and battled with uh, William Dunop in uh, the next race at Nuts Corner and we battled out I think he won uh, the race two then I won race three and then I remember being at home and I was like this wrist still ain't working went to school and it's, it's like oh my I think you need to take me to hospital this thing ain't working and of course just a mother of six She's uh, she's uh, always under the impression that you'd be fine. Went for the X-ray. Of course, it was broken. So um, that's I like this though. Like it's like I'll, I'll race and then I'll Mitch off school. <laughs> yeah, and that was my left wrist as well. 
So I'm, I'm left-handed, so I wasn't able to write. So that was bloody great, actually. Whenever you're at school, I was only in uh, fourth year, fifth year, was it? I was doing like um, pre-exams for GCSEs and broken my left wrist, and it was brilliant because <laughs> I couldn't do any of the the studying. I did regret well, you could it. Still do the studying, you just couldn't do the actual. Yeah, the writing. So I suppose that was that was good in a way. But uh, yeah, it's funny when you do look back through your career, some of the injuries that you've you've ridden with. You ask yourself, would you do it again? The one that I know I wouldn't ride with again is concussions that I've had because I wasn't educated in it, nobody was. Now I know that if I did take a hit to my head, I would just um, call it for that uh, weekend. We were just talking about it when I came out of the medical center there uh, earlier today. I remember the last time I walked out of that medical center it was 2011. I crashed out of the first race on the Yamaha here, got lunged in the coppice, didn't know where I was. And as a rider, you're in the medical center, they're asking you what day it is, and you're thinking very hard while looking sober. You know, that's pretty much like uh, when you have your first drink and you go home and your mum asks you all the questions, you try and be sober. And it was like that, and I, I managed to pass that test, not knowing where it was, and I was like, yep, you're good for race two. And I walked, opened the door of the medical center and opened it up and looked outside and was like, this isn't coppice. Because in my mind, the medical center was a coppice because that's where I'd crashed. And then, of course, everyone's like, shh, shh, just carry on walking. And I went out in that second race and didn't know where the hell I was. So I'm a little bit smarter now. You, we know. Now, you, you, once you hit your head, you can't ride. You don't know where you are. It's too dangerous. Yeah, there was one story Martin Brundle always tells about. He had a big crash in Monaco. Came off, down its back, and a big crash, rolled the car, massive concussion, went into the medical check. And again, it's one of those ones where like, basically the questions are all framed to allow you to pass the test back then. It's like, what day is it? Chances are it was a race day Sunday. And Brundle passed all of his tests and he went out then to go out. It was a qualifying session for him. He went out to do the qualifying session and he turned to his crew chief and he said, um, which uh, which way do I turn leaving the garage to get that lane? And the crew chief said, eh, I think we'll make you sit out this yeah, one then. They knew. But it's like for riders, though, it's always a case of, you got through the you got through the thumb, then you can get through the wrist, then you can get through the next one, and it sort of builds up the tolerance. Yeah, and that's why we will. But no one now what I've learned in the last few years about the head, wrist you can feel the pain, you know where it's at. Foot you can feel the pain, you know where it's at. You don't know what's going on upstairs. You can just black out, and that's that's something that nobody wants. So you, you get experience. It's important that we lead, like I was just saying before about the experience we can pass on to younger riders then to be able to set an example for them it's important now to, to know when to set it out and it's, there's always going to be pressure for a kid if they're fighting for a job or something or wanting to get back on their bike but um, with your head you just can't mess around with that it's, uh, it's not worth uh, thinking about uh, I don't know how many times I'd say I've ridden uh, concussed Hrath as well 250 Grand Prix 2007 crashed there on uh, the same point as Mick doing ended his career and I was concussed to hell and I was in the medical centre asked me what day it was and I said it was Friday and I saw the concerned looks so I cracked it and said it was Saturday and that was it I was good to go so those, uh, those tests need to tighten up a little bit then obviously like you said there about uh, 
trying to figure out what's going on in your head is always a tough one for a rider but when you look at the championship as a whole so far this season trying to figure out what's been happening has been a bit of a challenge as well it was up Bautista win the first 11 races and then suddenly we get here to Donington we've got two rounds before the summer break gaps down to 16 points obviously like you're a rider but you're a fan as well and you've been sitting there watching the last few rounds but what have you actually thought of the season so far just from a racing perspective not even anything to do with when you were out there as well as a fan, I'd say that we had a problem at the end of last year with one rider dominating, winning 11 races in a row was Johnny. And then uh, whenever we saw Batista going so strong in testing, we thought, hang on, this could be good because for the racing, we need to see guys fighting it out. But then he created another problem where he went and won the first 11 races. Uh, I still think that he is him together with the Ducati. Uh, it's the fastest package out there at the minute. The only reason that Johnny is within uh, sniff of him in the championship is because of experience. My, my brother John and I spoke about it after Philip Bynum. We said, no, I still think Johnny's going to win this title because Johnny, on his bad day, finishes in the podium. And we saw what Alvaro did two rounds in a row, uh, crashing. You know, not, not knocking Alvaro because that can happen. But whenever you've been on the same bike, the same team, the same tyres like Johnny has, uh, the guy's faultless. And to beat that over um, the course of a season, that's still going to be tough for Alvaro. What, what do you think of the Ducati as well? Obviously, you've your experience of riding them, but what's the big strength of that bike that Bautista's able to use? Obviously, you also came through the 250 Grand Prix route like him, yeah. but he seems to ride the bike very differently to everyone else. Uh, Alvaro and I actually ride it much more similar, um, which it's honestly the way I came back from MotoGP, and whenever I was riding uh, the Aprilia at the start was completely in the way that Alvaro's riding it now, just the <laughs> problem was uh, you can ride the Aprilia in that way, um, so I can see exactly what he's doing. He's improved, sounds daft to say, but he's improved his weaknesses where he wasn't really pushing the Pirelli front as hard as you need to, now he's, he's a clever guy. Uh, by Aragon, he upped his brake a lot because he was losing so much. Uh, Philip Island doesn't matter because you don't need a brake there, but Thailand he was really poor in the brakes. But he went and tested at Aragon and obviously focused on that. And he arrived at Aragon, I got to compare his data on Friday night, and the guy had started really squeezing the, the brake and the final brake in the way you need to with the Pirelli front tyre. So he's um, he's really now getting the best out of the bike. I'd say the, the thing that he's doing maybe that's um, made the difference is getting off the brake and getting on the, the gas. Um, that's, that's where I see he's, he's very strong, but this bike allows you to do that as well, and I enjoy riding it for that reason. What do you think of the wings as well? Obviously in BSB trim, that's been one of the big talking points, just because those bikes without anti-wheelie, it's made a big difference. A place like Walton Park, Knock Hill, Scott Redden's been able to come in and do a great job on that bike, Josh Brooks as well, just because they're able to use the wings to keep the front down. But what's it actually like on a bike with full electronics? Uh, Difficult to say exactly because I haven't ridden the bike without wings, but uh, I have a fair idea that it's helping so much creating downforce uh, so that the bike doesn't weigh in. That's part of the reason why I thought I'd give uh, Donington here a stab. If I was riding any other superbike that I've ridden in my career and you'd asked me to come back with this wrist injury at Donington, I would have said, not a bloody chance. Whereas this Ducati, it's just so pleasant to ride. You ride out of Redkit across to, to that next uh, little right kink and the thing's stable. You know, any other bike, you're fighting it, you're on your fingertips, but this thing is bloody brilliant. Not just for the wings, but the engine's so linear. It's such a, a nice bike to ride, and that's what um, makes it a bike that you can look after the tyre, like Alvaro at the end of races earlier in the year. He just kept it in uptown for fun, didn't he? 
and that linear power delivery as well we've seen that one of the big things all the way through the season is those exits of first second gear corners you see the Ducati just able to gap away from even at Misano last time the move that Bautista made to take the lead from from Johnny that's not a move you typically see at Misano no no it's um, it is a a bike that's so good out of those slow corners because the slower the corner the more um, issue there is for wheelie so this bike you got you got the wings you got um, power delivery that's so linear and then you got the best anti wheelie that I've ever ridden with so those things all make for for an easy bike to ride traction control is really good as well but it's not the be all and end all you can see in BSB with pretty much without traction control this can still be strong you mentioned there about um, Bautista's mistakes we've seen them in the last two rounds Jerez and Mizano crashing out in the early stages of a race I was asking him earlier in the weekend about one of the big things when you come from a MotoGP bike to a World Superbike a Superbike moves around so much more underneath the GP bike is that much more stiff and the weight transfer very different in a GP bike compared to a Superbike and Bautista was saying one of the biggest things he's had to try and get his head around was that in a GP bike the fuel tank is as low as possible it's under the seat whereas on a Superbike because it's a road bike it's a lot higher on the bike is that a big factor for you as well? Every bike's different depends where the mass centre of the bike is um, the lower the fuel tank the better of course but um, you know there is advantages of having a high mass centre as well even even if it is the, the fuel but looking at Alvaro's two mistakes is pretty clear the, the error he's made is the, this new super pole race isn't it because the 10 lap race you went from race one on Saturday where you've already ridden maybe FP3 in the morning with a full fuel tank you know where it's at so okay you go on attack for super pole to do your um, lap with no fuel in the, the tank but you know in the race that you've got to be careful of that full load but think about Sunday you do a super pole race with half the fuel in the tank and you go on lap one and do like what Alvaro did where he passed Johnny in lap two like made it look easy because he had barely any fuel in the tank and then he went with that confidence again to the final race but there's an extra maybe 10 kilos in the tank and that's that's what's made the difference both times he's made exactly the same error because um, of that and so it's always been in that race so you know you gotta see the there's definitely a link there super pole race then the next one extra fuel and done mentioned the schedule we have here as well this is obviously the first year we've had that Super Bowl race three races in a weekend you obviously have always just enjoyed as many races as possible but what do you actually think of the new schedule well it's more uh, more value for your money isn't it you pay your entry fee and you get three races it's great <laughs> no it's uh, it's a good thing for the fans I have to say the, the reverse grid thing was kind of good in a way because uh, it meant the guys had to come through but whenever you were me the guy that was kind of second rung and there was guys coming around you in the first few laps and treating you like a, a chicane it was sketchy because they you know johnny's bike was so agile that he was able to duck and dive passing people outside inside so it was really sketchy so this is probably better you have that sort of pole race creates a different dynamic where there's a tire for the short race there might be a guy that it's just a pity Davide Giuliano still isn't this championship because Davide over a 10 lap race with a soft tyre that guy could have done miraculous things so that's that's what that race is built for somebody that's not really going to be there at the end of a long race but somebody that in a short sprint race can have a style and then obviously next time at Laguna I hope you'll be back out in the bike but uh, what's the expectations for you for Laguna and then the rest of the season I want to be competitive at Laguna um, here was probably two seconds off uh, Alvaro I think on Friday 
and uh, I'd say the most part of that was physical condition. It's hard to say just how much of it. So hopefully it'll look good enough. I can actually really push because it's such a long summer break to, to go into the summer break uh, without a result will be tough. Uh, Porto Mayo is my track. I always say oh, we've got a test there at the end of August. Hopefully get the bike really dialed in for there and go and kick some ass uh, at Porto Mayo. That would be nice after what I've been through so far this year. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us, Eugene. No worries, Steve. I'd have